I'm going to have you turn in your Bibles this morning to the book of Ruth. Four little chapters. You know, a lot of times we, we read Bible, but we don't always get the context of the story. The book of Ruth is actually uh, set in the time of the book of Judges. How many have ever read the book of Judges? Anybody read the book of Judges? Well, if you haven't read that book, uh, you'll be enlightened. It's a good word. I'll give you the theme of the book of Judges. It says, and there was no king in the land in those days, and everybody did that which was right in their own eyes. Sounds similar? People doing their own thing. And when you read the book, you go, what a mess. Isn't that what happens when we do our own thing? It just creates havoc in our lives and in the lives around us. And so I love the book of Ruth. It actually follows the book of Judges. It's the seventh book in the Old Testament. And it's a bright ray of sunshine in a world of darkness. And I want to just declare to us this morning, there's a ray of hope. And you know, when we lose sight of that hope, we can live in despair. But I want to encourage you today. We're celebrating an amazing day. But I, want, I, I decided I'm going to talk about two beautiful ladies from the scriptures who seem to be obscure and ordinary in many ways, and yet I believe they're the main stars of the book of Judges because they're about to bring in the hope for the nation. They're about to bring in the king, the ultimate king. They're gonna bring in David because Ruth is gonna become the grandmother of King David or the great-grandmother of King David who eventually down his lineage brings the hope of every Jewish girl, the Messiah, Jesus himself. Is that a beautiful thing? So, you know, in this story of difficulty and adversity, we're gonna find that God had a plan. You know, Albert Tomey, a justice of the New York State Supreme Court, uh, was residing over a court situation where a young defendant was convicted by a jury of gunning down another person in an execution style. Now the perpetrator had a terrible rap sheet, bad record, no stranger to the system. And not only was he staring in anger as the jury returned the guilty verdict, the victim's family had been in court every day over a two week trial. Imagine, this is their son and grandson. On the day of sentencing, the victim's uh, mother and grandmother addressed the court. Sometimes they let victims have a victim statement. And when they spoke, neither of them addressed the jury. They both spoke directly to the perpetrator and they both forgave him. You see, the grandmother said, you broke the golden rule, loving God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and you broke the law, loving your neighbor as yourself. And I'm your neighbor. So you have my address, she says, and if you want to write, I'll write back. You see, I sat in this trial for two weeks and for the last 16 months, I tried to hate you. But you know what? I couldn't do it. I began to feel sorry for you because you made a very terrible choice. Judge Tomey writes, for the first time since the trial began, the defendant's eyes, they lost their laser force that appeared to surrender to a life force that only a mother could generate, nurturing, and unconditional love. 
After the grandmother had finished, I looked at the defendant. This was Judge Tome. He says, I looked at the defendant. His head was hanging low. There was no more swagger, no more stare. The destructive and evil forces within him collapsed helplessly before this remarkable display of humaneness. In a sinful, broken world, how many know there's a great need for that kind of love to be demonstrated? You see, I, I think the problem we have is that we're trying to fight spiritual powers but we're fighting against ideologies and flesh and blood and we get frustrated by all of these things. And I believe that the only way to reach people is with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of his amazing love. That's what changes people. You know, what happens when people have a spiritual awakening is all the things they once thought and believed get thrown out the window. They're awakened to the reality of the truth and the truth is what sets people free. Now as we look at this, I think one of the most moving stories in the Bible, these two women, ordinary women, struggling with great loss. Both of them had lost their husbands. Naomi, the mother-in-law of Ruth, her future looked rather bleak. All she could see was poverty and uncertainty ahead. How many know you're up there, you're aging, there's not a lot of hope for you, and especially uh, when you study scripture in the Old Testament primarily, there's not a lot of avenue for women to fall into. As a matter of fact, the scriptures teach very little roles that women have in the Bible, which is kind of tragic in many ways, right? Sad. She had no hope for a future home, a family, and as a result, she became embittered by what God had allowed to occur in her life. She felt God had dealt very harshly with her. As a matter of fact, as we read through the book of Ruth, you'll find out she returns back to her homeland, and when the women in town of Bethlehem greet her, they said, this is Naomi. She goes, don't call me Naomi. Naomi means pleasant. She said, no, call me Myra, which means bitter. She said, I left full and now I'm returning empty. I have all these losses in my life. And so she felt God had dealt harshly with her. In an alien culture and land, she returned to the home of her youth. She remembered with fondness, I'm sure, the, God's abundance, the love of a husband, the delightful squeals of her children. But even these carefree memories also was reminding her of the fact that she had these losses. Her husband gone and her two sons were now gone as well. So in her mind, she said, I left full, but now I'm returning empty. Death had claimed her family. She had left her home with her family full of hopes and dreams, and now she's mourning her losses. She's, this is the setting for the relationship between Ruth and Naomi. I think we have to understand the setting. It helps us understand what God is doing in the midst of the story. But you know, God never leaves people to fend for themselves. You know, I love the fact that God says, when you and I surrender to him, he says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. How many say, that's beautiful, isn't it? I'll be there for you. And we're gonna find out in the story that God is there throughout the story. Even though he's not mentioned, God is there walking through the pain, the difficulty, the struggle, and the adversity. So all through the book of Ruth, we see these quote-unquote chance happenings. It just so happens, it says. You know, nothing just so happens. 
you know, when you are a believer, you have a certain worldview, it's called providence. It just so happens people come into your life. Really? Did not God bring those individuals by? Of course he did. And so we're gonna see that through the story. Uh, it's a story, as I've already mentioned, of going from emptiness to, to fullness. I've mentioned going from fullness to emptiness, but this is gonna conclude with going from emptiness back to fullness. It's gonna come from brokenness to wholeness. So we see both movements happening. The beginning starts out, there's loss, and then at the end, we're gonna see God's restorative work. How many wanna experience God's restoration work? You know, it's difficult experiencing losses, but to see God bring it full circle and you have restoration. How many know when that happens, it's really exciting? It's really exciting because, you know, we've experienced loss. We have a deeper appreciation and value for what's happening. See, I believe the longer you walk with God, the greater the degree of gratitude should fill our lives. It, it's, that's my experience. I, I, feel, I feel overwhelmed with gratitude. I, I understand today that everything that you and I have experienced has been God's grace. It's all grace, folks. We're saved by grace. We're kept by grace. Every day, God's pouring grace into your life. But a lot of times when we go through a difficult moment, we lose sight of the grace of God. Isn't that true? We, fo we focus in on the problem, not the God who can solve it. We lose sight of that. A lot of times we can't discern what God is doing. What seems like disaster is one of the instruments in God and God using to shape our lives and destiny. You know, God actually does things in our lives that we think are terrible. He allows those things to happen, but he's using them to change the course of our lives. He has a plan. You and I would have never chosen that plan. That's why we know God is at work. You know, we think, we, we, you know, we, we think, we assume, we have it laid out, we've got a plan, and it's not working out, and we're frustrated, and we're upset, and we're disappointed, and sometimes we get angry, and we get bitter over those experiences, but God has a plan, and God is going to use those moments in our lives to move us in a direction you and I would have never gone, but God uses those things. You know, we, can, we love to tell people, you know, just come to Jesus, all your problems will be gone. That's not even biblical. You can't make that statement. Jesus said, in the world you'll have trouble. But he said, be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. So trials and tribulations, adversity and struggle and difficulty, it's part of the journey. You know, we don't like it. You know, if you would have known when you signed up, we're gonna find this out in a few minutes, what God had in store, you probably would have said, I'm not going. I don't wanna go through all of that. But then if God would have told you all the blessings that were about to occur if you followed him, you'd go, I want that. But you can't have one without the other. It's all part of the package. It's a full package deal. You gotta get it all. So, in the drama of human loss and pain, the unforeseen gains of God are often overshadowed. I think this is true. When we're suffering, when we're only seeing the downside, the dark side, the difficult side, we can't see any upside in it at all. How many say that's true? We can't see it. But you know, if you've been around for a long time, and I can say I've, I've walked with God now for almost five decades, I can say some things now. Couldn't say it before. 
I can look back and say, okay, this is making sense now. Didn't make sense at the time. I never figured it out for, until years later. When I look back, I go, okay, I, that, was, that was an important moment. I just didn't see it. That was a necessary moment. I didn't like it. But boy, did God ever use it. And some of you know what I'm talking about because you've experienced it. We find in the drama, the moving story of love and devotion of a daughter-in-law. It is this devotion that is an expression of God's provision. This relationship is the beginning of God's restorative process. My premise today is that people, God's gonna use people to help you move forward and you don't even know who those people are sometimes. This relationship reveals that God is gracious and loving. What Naomi doesn't see in her losses is the great addition God put into her life. This young Moabite, her name is Ruth. You know, if you really want to get down to preaching this, I could, I could argue that Elamic, uh, his name means my God is king. But he didn't trust God in a time of famine, so he left the land of blessing to go to a land of judgment. Moab was a place of judgment. What do you expect when you turn your back on God? What are you going to expect from that? You're going to expect some losses in your life. If he would have known the, what he was going to give up to try to get food, he would have never left Bethlehem. The rest of the people survived through Bethlehem. He ran away from the problem. Sometimes, you know, when we're running from our problems, we're not helping ourselves out any because you're not going to escape. God's going to allow other things to come into your life. So you need to face those problems. That's probably one of the greatest lessons I learned as a young adult. Don't run from your problems. Run to them. Face them address them, even though they're painful, even though they're hard. They're not designed to destroy you. They're designed to develop something inside of you. And I see this culture today running away from their problems and everybody's babying people and they're not developing correctly. Struggle is a part of life. And we need to embrace it a little bit better than we do. We need to face these things and say, okay, I'm gonna grow up as a result of this experience. We need to grow up as human beings. That's part of the process God wants us to do. Uh, you, you, don't, you know, if it's always easy, this has been too easy of a culture to live in. I want you to go back in history. You know, I, I actually spoke at a conference in Toronto. You know, everyone's going, how do you navigate after the post-pandemic? I said, if you think the 21st century, the 20th century has been difficulty, let me take you on a journey through the 14th century where you had the bubonic plague, where one-third of the people died from India to Greenland. One-third, in many European cities, half the people were killed by that plague, and they had a hundred-year war. And it was like, as I started reading, I go, we've, we've not had any difficulty compared to that time. And you know, if you go back to our grandparents who had to go through a depression and two world wars, you'd start saying, we've lived through relatively a good time. Now, some of you that from other countries, you've had a far more difficult journey. But we need to embrace the challenges because that's part of God's developmental process in our lives. So, this relationship is amazing. I, I, I think, you know, we often fail to see it, especially in our materialistic, things-oriented society, that the greatest gifts are the people that God brings into your life. And let me just say this, that the things that you're acquiring and the achievements that you're achieving mean very little in light of eternity. What really means something in light of eternity is relationships, because that's the only eternal things that are 
out there. We need to understand that. So here we see this beautiful story of Ruth and the etymology or history of the name of Ruth actually means friendship. In light of what unfolds, this is probably the most appropriate name for Ruth is brought into a family where grief has now become a pattern. It's, a it's out of this relationship that God, as I said, brings forth some very distinguished people. It's out of this union between Ruth and Boaz we have, you know, King David and eventually the Lord Jesus Christ. That's his human lineage. So we're gonna look at relationships that can bring people from brokenness to wholeness and emptiness to fullness. In our world today, the family can be at one time a place of refuge or part of the pain that people are enduring. So family is not always a good spot. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes it can be amazing and sometimes it can be downright painful and difficult. And that's why, you know, a lot of people don't like Mother's Day because they, they, they lock onto the pain side. And what I want us to learn today is how can we transform relationships today? That's the message. Because I think God's gonna use people to bring blessings to our lives. And I think there's characteristics or qualities that facilitate these transforming relationships. And so I wanna look at qualities that empower and transform our relationships so what are these qualities that change people's lives? And the first one is really a commitment of love and devotion. When we start seeing love at work, love will conquer where everything else fails. And I, I tried to tell you that opening illustration to bring that point across. Love is very powerful and we need to understand that. It's the greatest agent that facilitates change. Now let me just say this. Sometimes people resist love. I see it all the time. You know, God so loved the world. Why are people resisting God if God is love? But people do. And they do it to their own hurt. And a lot of people right now, you're trying to love them and they don't want to be loved. And they're doing it to their hurt. Isn't that true? We see that. But don't give up. It's always too soon to give up. Keep praying. Keep loving anyways. Because you know what? Love finds a way. Love never fails. Okay, so I think it's ironic that one of the most moving verses of devotion and commitment in the Bible has to do with the devotion between a mother-in-law and a daughter-in-law, or a daughter-in-law and a mother-in-law, you know? Matter of fact, the preachers, they're, we're terrible. We, we raid these verses to use them for wedding ceremonies. And you say, why would we do that? Because they are the most powerful expressions of love and devotions and commitment in the entire scriptures. They're that, they're that beautiful, and we're gonna look at them in a moment. But here's the context that leads to that commitment. It says, Ruth, chapter one, verse 12, you know, Ruth, uh, sorry, Naomi decides to go back to Bethlehem. She's lost her husband, lost her boys. She finds out that there's food in Bethlehem. She's deciding, I can't take it anymore, I'm going home. And her daughter-in-law say, hey, we'll go with you. And then she says these words, return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. How many say that's a powerful statement? She's basically saying God's become my enemy because of all of the hardships I've endured. She sees, she's at odds with the goodness of God. She doesn't see God being good. You know, when we're in a lot of pain, we can't see any good. How many say that's true? We just lose sight of it. But here God made a provision. We're gonna see what that provision is. Verse 14, it says, at this they wept aloud again, then Orpah 
kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Ruth now becomes the provision, the friendship, the grace in Naomi's life. We're gonna watch how God uses this person to bring about transformation in an embittered person's life. It's, very, it's a beautiful story. Naomi is reminding them she has nothing to offer them. There's no future in this relationship, she's telling them. And Orpah decides, hey, I'm going back home. Paulus Castle says this regarding this decision. He says, the same cause that induced Orpah to go and Ruth to remain, the fact that Naomi had no longer either son or husband. The one wished to become a wife again, the other to remain a daughter. They had different goals. That's interesting. Ruth decided, you know what? I love Naomi. I'm gonna be here for her. I'm gonna make this commitment to her. Now Ruth says this, look, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods, go back with her. And then we come to these amazing immortal words. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. How many go, that's an amazing expression of commitment. Anybody say it's amazing? You know what? Do you think she really understood everything she was signing up for? I don't think so. I don't think she really understood it. But she went on to say, where you die, I will die. There I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. She says, I'm gonna gonna stay. Nothing's gonna remove me from your presence. She says, unless I die first. But Ruth probably realized that she was making a commitment even beyond Naomi because Naomi was older. Naomi would pass away first. Ruth was prepared to leave her country, her customs and her gods to embrace the God of Israel. That's a pretty powerful declaration. Now, think about this kind of a commitment that she's making. It's gonna change her whole life. She's gonna move in a whole new value system. Do you know when you start becoming a follower of Jesus, do you have any idea what you're really getting into? The answer is no, I don't. I mean, let's be truthful. We didn't have a clue. You know, I didn't grow up in in a church that explained all of this stuff. I just, you know, I had no idea where this was gonna take me. But I had purposed in my heart. See, it says here, when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined or purposed in her heart, To go with her, she stopped urging her. That word, determined, actually is the idea of steadfastness. She just made up her mind, I'm not budging. Once once Naomi realized it, she stopped trying to stop her. Ruth had set a course. In a day where commitment needs little, what we are witnessing here is the power that commitment brings in transforming a person's life. See, this is what our culture does not get. We have no concept of commitment. I'm sorry, we just don't. We've lost it. We think it's about us. I'm gonna just hit the pause button here and explain something to us. Everyone in this room was created by God, for God, for his glory, and for his pleasure. You're not here for you on this planet. There's our problem. We need to to rethink why we're here. What's my purpose being on this planet? To bring glory to God. I need to get a hold of that in my mind. I'm not here for me. I'm here for you, Lord. I'm not gonna do my will. I'm here to do your will. And in doing that, it brings the greatest satisfaction, the greatest meaning, the greatest purpose, and the greatest happiness. Is this amazing? 
See, our world is unhappy. And you know, if you think that things and popularity and fame are gonna make you happy, just go down to Hollywood and find out how happy a lot of those campers are. They've got riches, they've got fame, and they're miserable. That's not what brings happiness. You go, well, what brings happiness? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these other things will be added to you. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Listen, those, those are not just nice little sayings. The word blessed means happy are you when you put God kingdom. You, you're seeking God's, you're thirsting after God. You're longing for God. You're desiring God. You're earnestly seeking God. Then you'll be satisfied. It's the giving up of our lives that find meaning and purpose and joy in our lives. And you know, this isn't just saying it. Try it. You see, you know, it was Chesterton that said Christianity has not been tried and found wanting. It's just not been tried. You know, our problem is we can say all these things and we can intellectually say, yeah, I believe this stuff, but have we really done it? You see, until you apply it into your life, you won't know what works. And most of us, we just think, we're just going to church. I'm just, you know, making sure I have a fire escape policy from hell. You know, that's why I'm following Jesus. I'm going, it's not enough. And it's not gonna satisfy you and you're not gonna run the course well. So we just had to determine in our minds to follow Christ. Just, Ruth did it. She had no idea what it was gonna get her into, but I'm gonna say this, it brought great blessing in two people's lives, her life and also in Naomi's life. Let me move on. The second, the second quality, besides this commitment of love and devotion, is sacrificial service towards others. Transforming relationships are where sacrificial service is demonstrated. In a time of self-fulfillment and self-expression, we find very little self-denial. Any amens to that? This is not the norm in this culture. We're looking for fulfillment. I'm going, deny yourself. Jesus said it. If you want to find life, you have to deny yourself. If you're going to not deny yourself, you're not going to find life. Yet it is this quality that the gospel challenges us with. It's this characteristic that brings about change in our lives and in the lives of other people. Ruth was willing to provide for Naomi the only way she could. They were poor. And so in the customs of the day, in Israel's customs, the poor people could go into the fields and as they were harvesting, whatever was left, they could glean. And that's what she started to do. It says in verse two, Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. <coughs> Excuse me. So she went out and entered a field and began to glean behind the harvesters. And as it turned out, as it turned out, just by happenstance, come on, guys. God was behind this stuff. He goes, I'm moving Ruth over to this field. You know, God's in charge of our steps. The steps of a good person are what? Ordered of God. God put her in that field. She was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who, as it turned out, was a, from the clan of Elimelech. So he's a near kinsman, which in Jewish law meant he had a responsibility to take care of his relatives. It's true. Well, when Ruth uh, left her country and entered into the Israelite community, she entered a world of different customs and culture. She had no idea where this was ultimately gonna lead. 
Isn't that true when we're Christians? We have no idea what's gonna happen. If you would have told me the day I said, okay, Jesus, I'll serve you the rest of my life, if, if you'd have told me all the stuff I would have experienced in the next almost five decades, I'd have said, I can't see any of that coming. That's way outside of my scope of vision. And you probably say the same thing. If you look at your life, you're going, wow, this is an amazing journey I'm on. I think it's true of each of us that surrender our lives to Christ and begins the journey of learning a new value system. Listen to what it says. In light of God's mercies, brothers and sisters, I beg of you to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. This is your reasonable act of worship. And don't be conformed to the values of this world, this value system. Don't conform to it. Rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may know it is the good, perfect, and acceptable will of God. God has a different standard than what our culture has. God's on a different page. The culture needs to be awakened. They're blind to reality. You know, we, we have a, an idea that we're gonna spend eternity with God. We have no idea the road ahead that God has planned for us. With some amazing challenges, like I said, you would have never signed up if you had known the bumps on the road, but some amazing blessings. You would go, I'd sign up for that every day. And heaven is one of them. Isn't that true? Well, Ruth's commitment to her aging mother-in-law was even more importantly, her commitment was to the true and the living God. And that commitment is expressed in her willingness to serve unselfishly. And I think that's powerful. Whatever our vocation is, God wants his people committed to others and not just to themselves. One of the challenging areas for some of us is this place is the way we will care for our aging parents. Ruth is really a model teaching us some things there. Without taking their freedoms away, what are we doing for our parents? The Bible teaches we're to honor them. The word honor includes the idea of providing for them when they have aged and are unable to care for themselves. And every culture must address this issue. It's true. Now listen to what scripture teaches us in the New Testament. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents for this is pleasing to God. So you and I, you know, when we're little, who takes care of us? Our mom and dad, our grandparents, they all chip in to help, right? But then one day, when they're unable to care for themselves, who's responsible to care for them? If I'm a believer, it tells me very clearly, I have a responsibility to care for them, right? Doesn't it say that? Well, listen, verse eight goes stronger. If anyone does not provide for their own relatives, especially for their own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. What, what is he teaching? What is God saying to us? We, love begins at home. We need to support those that God has put into our lives who at one point cared for us. We need to come alongside of people and care for them. That's what we're learning here. God is calling us to sacrificial service. And when we do that, you know what happens? It transforms us and the people we're caring for. But it doesn't just affect us and them. It affects the people outside of those relationships. Do you know what starts happening in the story here is that, uh, well, let's find out. I think this is beautiful. This plan begins to unfold. Naomi is not jealous to keep this young woman totally to herself. And she starts to think, 
I've got to take care of Ruth because one day I won't be here. What's going to happen to Ruth? And so she plans for Ruth to find a place of rest or a home so that she can, you know, live out the rest of her days. And so we find, you know, she, she explains to Ruth, hey, listen, you know, Boaz, he's related to us and he has a responsibility towards us biblically. And he's a godly person, so we can speak to him about that. You know, I think it's interesting that most of the miracles found in the Bible occur as people are ministering to others. And Ruth finds herself working in the field of Boaz. And favor is being extended to her by this gracious, godly man. Now, you know, all the ladies here, this is not romance. You know, I, I know you guys like romantic stories, but Boaz, you know, he, what, what's moving Boaz is just his character, his quality in his own life. He's the kind of person that when he sees a person in need, he's just gonna minister to that person and help them. And he's showing generosity to this young widow because he's hearing what she's doing for his mother, the mother-in-law. And Boaz decides, hey, listen, stay in the field. You'll be protected. Remember, this is the book of Judges. Things are not the way they should be. There's anarchy, lawlessness, brutality, all kinds of nasty stuff is going on. Stay in my field. I've told the young man not to bother you, and you'll be taken care of here. And then he tells his servants, he says, oh, by the way, you know how she's gleaning you know, you're only going to get so much. He says, make sure you drop handfuls on purpose. In other words, when you got the grain, just drop a pile there where she's going to come along and pick it all up. In other words, let's make sure we're taking care of her. Let's provide for her. Okay, that's the character of this person. You know, I believe this was very providential. God was watching over the drama of these two ordinary women, very obscure lives, you know, when we, when we study history, we always look at the big people, the leaders that are doing things, but many times God is using the obscure people. Read the Bible. Mary, Joseph, taking a little trip down to Bethlehem, you know, being taxed by the emperor, you know. He seems to be the superstar in the story, but the real superstar is these two uh, obscure personalities traveling down to Bethlehem. How many are picking it up that God likes to use the lives of ordinary people? How many notice that? And so God, ha God has a different script than what the world has. And when we get to heaven, it's going to get flipped. A lot of things that people got, you know, elevated and spoken of well on the planet. When we get to heaven, you're going to find out who the real stars are. And they're going to be very ordinary, obscure people. They're the superstars in God's eyes. And we're seeing that here happening. It says here in verse 2, Boaz uh, says to Ruth, she goes, well, why, why, are you, why are you doing, you know, showing this kindness to me? And he says, well, I've been told all about what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband and how you left your father and mother in your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. This has got to be difficult. You know, learning a whole new culture is not an easy thing. This is tough sledding. He says, and may the Lord repay you for what you have done. God is watching the things we're doing for people. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. You know, it seems like Orpah makes the choice to go after what she thinks is a good future. Ruth gives up her life for the sake of her mother-in-law, and in the end, who do you think comes out ahead? The girl that gives up everything for the God of Israel is gonna come out further ahead. Isn't this amazing? Can I tell us, when you and I give up our lives to serve God wholeheartedly, we're going to come out ahead in the long run. Maybe not in the short run, but in the long run, we certainly are going to get a lot further along, and it's a lot more exciting. So, 
Unselfishness brings about the greatest changes in marriages, homes, and environment at work and school. How many say that's true? You know, if, if we can learn to be less self-centered, and it's not about us, and it becomes about helping other people, serving other people, even sacrificially, that's unselfishness. When we start to do that, it changes the environment in which we're living in. Why are you doing this? You get an opportunity to talk to people. People are going, why are, you, why are you being so good? Why are you helping me like this? Why are you going the extra mile? The love of Christ. You see, I cannot tell people I love Christ without demonstrating that love to other people. That's how it's manifested. But let me move on now um, to the third quality that empowers and transforms. Well, it's concern and respect for other people. It's demonstrated by respecting others. Naomi's awakened to the needs of her young daughter-in-law. She's concerned about Ruth's future. In a society that left little for young widowed women to be engaged in, to find rest as the NIV translated as home becomes the mandate of Naomi. She wants the very best for this young woman and who's demonstrated such love and commitment, such unselfish service toward her. So Naomi has moved beyond her grief now. She now has a reason for living. You know, one of the problems with some of us is we, we lose a meaning and a reason for living. I'm gonna give you one today. Start looking at people around you and say, who can I serve and bless? And the moment you start moving in that direction, you have a reason and a purpose for living. Come on now. I don't, it's not about money. That's what people think. It's not about you know, what people, you know, why are we doing what we're doing? Can I tell you, this is what you need to know. A lot of people serve people because they, they, they want to be, they're, they're people pleasers. They want people to think that they're wonderful people. If you do it for that reason, eventually you'll stop serving people. You know why? People are gonna abuse you, use you, and spit you up and throw you out. That's what's gonna happen. But if you do it because you love God and you're saying, God, I'm gonna serve this person because I love you. No matter what they're doing, I'm doing this for you. You're able to continue to serve unappreciative people. You're able to work with people that you know are difficult. I'm explaining how to transform relationships. This is how it happens. You have to have a higher motivation. So when we serve others, we're gonna discover one of the real purposes of our lives. That's to love God, that's to honor God. So, Ruth chapter three says, one day Naomi, her mother-in-law, says to my daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Now Naomi is, you know, is saying, I gotta do something for her. I gotta do something for Ruth. Now Boaz, with whose women you have worked as a relative of ours, tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. I don't think Ruth knew all the nuances of Israeli culture. Her mother-in-law is gonna explain it to her. She says, wash, put on perfume, get dressed in your best clothes, then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you're there until he's finished eating and drinking. And when he lies down, note the place where he's lying, then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He'll tell you what to do. Now, in the fullest historical and cultural context, the events described in these verses take on a note of ethical and moral, moral beauty. You know, because, you know, some scholars have suggested that this was, you know, very immoral behavior going on here, but it's not. This was not what people think. She was just telling him he had a responsibility to exercise 
this kinsman redeemer reality, which was what? That he was, being a near kinsman, he needed to uh, help her husband, Kilion, retain his progenitory, you know, at descendants. And so if he married her, the child would actually be a descendant of Kilion, the husband, her first husband who died. So, According to the, the Hebrew law, Ruth was entitled to call upon her nearest kinsman to fulfill this responsibility. And Ruth's actions, therefore, are according with previous revelation of Scripture and well-known custom. Now, it's interesting. Boaz says to her, now, you know, there is actually a nearer kinsman, and he's responsible for this action. But I'll tell you what, I'll go check and see if he'll take on that responsibility. If he wasn't, he doesn't want to, I'll do it. I'll take on that responsibility. So he goes the next morning and he goes down to the gate, which is the place of where judicial transactions happen in ancient cities. And he sees the nearer kinsman redeemer coming. He says, hey, listen, you know, you know what's happened here. Naomi's moved back with her daughter-in-law, Ruth, and, you know, there's a responsibility for, for you to step up and marry, uh, not to, but to take on the, the responsibility of the kinsman redeemer. He says, okay, great, I'll take on their property. Oh, by the way, if you do that, you have to marry Ruth and have children uh, on behalf of Killian. He goes, well, I don't want that responsibility. So then he turns it over to Boaz. So Boaz takes on that responsibility, and then we have those beautiful words in the story that he gets, you know, he gets married to her. Now, <clears throat> I want to just stop here and say something about marriage and selecting life partners because a lot of times young people make bad choices. How many know that's true? So here's what I'm going to say to all the young people who are not married right now. Make sure that you have older, godly, wise people in your life and when you're dating or start dating, Try to figure out from the older people, you know, do they, what, do they think this is a good match? I'll tell you why. Because they see what you don't see. Because so often when we start dating, we get emotionally involved and we lose objectivity. Older people know that marriage is more than just infatuation or a physical attraction. Marriage is a lifelong commitment and you, what you want is the best possible qualities in a potential spouse. How many say true? It is true. So I think it takes certain character qualities to make for a good and stable marriage. Many times, as I've already said, older people can see that a little bit better than a young person. Ruth was a wise young woman. She knew that Naomi wanted only what was best for her, and Naomi knew that Boaz would make a good husband for her daughter-in-law, right? I mean, you could see it because he was generous and kind and, and concerned about people in need. That makes for a good person. You, you want people of good character. Uh, so now we turn to the last part of the chapter, chapter four. Here's Naomi now. Probably the greatest grief in Hebrew culture was not to have a child. That was a, you know, and it, it, the people struggled with it because for them, they had an underdeveloped concept of eternity and they felt like their lives were being perpetuated through their children. And there are cultures today that still think that way. And I know that there's some here that may feel that pain, maybe as intensely as Naomi felt, like, you know, I don't have a future. But here we see God's gracious hand providing a family to Naomi through the life of a woman that was not even her flesh and blood. Isn't that beautiful? 
And so here's what I'm gonna stop and pause and say to all of us. You know, even though biologically we may not have children, can I say that we can all have spiritual children? You and I can bring the good news of Christ into someone's life and we can become a spiritual parent, a mentor, someone who is investing and training and teaching a young person, taking them under our wing and helping them. Because when we get to heaven, folks, biology is going out the window. There will be no husbands and wives and marriages and all that. We'll all be part of the one big family of God. And so the most important thing is that we're nurturing one another in the kingdom of God. And so maybe you feel like, well, I, I don't have this opportunity. Yes, you do have this opportunity. You and I can share the gospel of Jesus Christ. But let me close with these verses of scripture. Uh, in verse 14, the, woman, the women of the village are saying to Naomi, praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Isn't that amazing? Uh, and I think what's really interesting to note is that it says that her life would be renewed. As far as the community was concerned, they could see that Ruth had proven to be better than a complete family. And what she had done for her mother-in-law was incredible. God had not forgotten nor forsaken Naomi. He had brought blessing out of calamity. God had given fullness out of emptiness. And there's one thing that you and I may not be able to control, and that's her ability to physically reproduce. Granted, you know, we've got a lot of medical strides today. But there's still people that struggle with that. But let me encourage all of us, as I've already said, we can befriend people to such a degree that one day they become family. We can have spiritual children. I think it's interesting that Ruth's son is the grandfather of King David. And from David, we have that genealog 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 genealogical line. Yeah, genealogical line. It brings us ultimately to every Jewish girl's hope that they would be the mother of the Messiah. Isn't it neat? Ruth is in that genealogy. Here was a young woman in a land under a curse that God redeemed. Let's stand. Let's pray today. This is Mother's Day. You know what? My, my prayer is that we will learn to love, honor, develop the qualities, allow the qualities that God is calling and get our focus not on achievement or recognition in life or acquisition of things. That's the wrong goals. Here's the big goals. That we would embrace relationships. That we would invest our lives in people. You know, I know some of you in this room, you're, by nature, you're wired towards people. And some of you are wired towards tasks. I get that. I'm a task-oriented person. But can you imagine being called to be a pastor when you're task-oriented? And I had to come to a, a place really early on and I, I felt the Spirit of God drop this thought in my mind. Your task is people. Focus on people. And you know what? All through these years, that's where my heart has been, towards people. Because that's what's eternal. These other things, they're temporary. Maybe you're here today and you're realizing, you know, God's spirit is speaking to you right now. You gotta shift your focus towards people. You gotta invest in people. But you gotta have the qualities to actually bring about the transformation that will occur not only in their lives, but in your life. Can you see that? 
devotion, commitment, love, sacrificial service, concern, respect. How many here say, you know what? Those are the qualities I want God to really work in my life. Anybody here besides myself say, you know what? I want God to do these things inside of me so that God can do these things through me and will impact the lives of people around me. And I'm going to be challenging our church in the next few months to really focus in on people. You're going to hear it over and over again. Because you know what? That's the key to changing the culture. It's one by one, person by person. You think Ruth and Naomi knew that they were going to be the great change agents in one of the darkest hours in Israel's history? I don't think so. But they were. And you know what? God's going to use some very obscure, ordinary people, I'm looking at them, to be the change agents in this hour. And you're it. You're it. So don't back away from it. Okay, God. You know, a lot of people may not know until eternity how much you're going to impact the culture. But it starts by ordinary people. So let's pray. Lord, I just thank you today. You've spoken into our lives. You're showing us, Lord, how transformation happens in marriages, in workplaces. It's through the qualities that we saw in the life of Ruth. And I pray today that we will embrace those qualities and we will invest ourselves in the lives of others. And I just thank you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you as you leave this morning.